Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Get the house you want with the payment you want at buywithconrad.com. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this at buywithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. The first step to buying a house is buywithconrad.com. Spoken here on the Extreme Life of Matt Hardy. Welcome, everyone, to yet another edition of the Extreme Life. I, of course, am John Albin. We are presented to you exclusively by AdFreeShows.com and Podcast Heat, and I am joined as I am every single week by the man of the hour, the broken, woken, and spoken one himself, Mr. Matt Hardy. What's up, brother? What's going on, John? Uh, I'm here hanging. I'm in Milwaukee for AEW Dynamite tonight, and AEW Rampage is, uh, well, a big uh, evening of AEW tapings here. Yes, a pay-per-view week for AEW as well, the yes. Forbidden Door. We're knocking on the Forbidden Door. You are indeed knocking on the Forbidden Door, and we'll talk about that in just a few minutes here on The Extreme Life of Matt Hardy. We are so appreciative. I, I have to get this off the top here, Matt Hardy, because I know you've shared the sentiments with me. We are so appreciative of the feedback that we have gotten for last week's episode. So much. If you haven't had a chance to go back, check out the archives, extremehardy.com. You can watch it on YouTube. You can listen to it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Matt and I did uh, about an hour and 20 minutes on addiction and mental health. What kind of feedback have you received this week, Matt, and, and how meaningful has it been? It's been incredibly meaningful. Uh, so much, so much overwhelmingly positive feedback, and so many people reaching out and say, saying, "Thank you for speaking about this." You know, on on a public stand. Uh, so many people said it makes me want to open up and and talk to people or address my issues, and, and it and it feels so good because it resonated with so many people. It feels like there were people that actually felt relaxed and calm 
after hearing our conversation and, and they're they're looking into taking even better care of themselves now because of it. So that's really important to me. It seems like a lot of people felt like it was a conversation that went beyond wrestling. And I agree entirely. I think it resonates with very yes. real portions of your life. So please, guys, go check it out in the archives if you haven't. I was so grateful that you opened up in the way that you did. It was very therapeutic for me to talk about stuff on a public forum. And I'm really, really proud of that episode, too, as well, Matt. Things are uh, things are looking up. That's, that's I was, how I look at it. I was I was really proud of you for sharing as much as you did, too, because uh, I know there are a lot of people that obviously can relate to that. And when they hear it from John Alba, someone that they you know watch on this podcast, listen to watch each and every week, you know, and they go, wow, this guy has these these same issues I have, too, as well. It's it, it's great that they're able to relate to you and know that you're someone who can get past things and it will get better. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. And maybe if they weren't familiar with me now, now they'll be asking who the hell let John Alba back in. That's <laughs> at the end of the day. That's that's going to be the title of one of the chapters of my book one day. I promise you that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, man, good stuff there. Check it out. Extremehardy.com. And the biggest way you can help support the podcast, guys, of course, head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Even if it's a YouTube comment, hit the like button. Hit that five star. I say five star. What do you say every week, Matt Hardy? I say Five, cinco, five, cinco, five star review. And we love you, them. We need them. We do need them. We are whores for them. And we will continue to whore out for them. And there's something that you will receive as a beneficiary of us whoring ourselves out for these five star reviews. So if you leave that five star review, send us a screenshot at Matt Hardy Pod, at Matt Hardy Brand, at John Alba. Well, you'll be entered to win some free shirts from the Extreme Life of Matt Hardy, which you can pick up at boxagimmicks.com. Maybe get this Extreme Life of Matt Hardy t-shirt. You could get Matt Fact, Matt Fiction. Yes. What else can they get, Matt? Uh, and they can also get uh, my favorite shirt, Let It Play Out. You Let know, It Play Out. Indeed. There's always those moments when there's a controversial decision made in pro wrestling, and people are like, oh, my God, what was that about? And then a lot of times the first response you'll get from someone on the inside is, let it play out. Let it play it's, out. It's always interesting to see how things play out. And I Sometimes think, they may, but often they do not. <laughs> and I think on this week's episode, we might talk a little bit about that, too, because looking at some of the booking that was leading up to King of the Ring 2000, oh, there certainly reeks of let it play out just a little bit on a few yeah. elements of it. You can also get a spoken Matt Hardy T-shirt that is boxofgimmicks.com. Pick yourself up a shirt. At the very least, leave that five-star review. You'll be entered to win a shirt from us here at the extreme life of Matt Hardy and Matt. They'll have a chance to continue to see your career unfold as they hear the chronicles of Matt Hardy, because you have another chapter to add this past week. You work triple mania, a very cool yeah. experience there in Mexico. Yeah. I thought I was Johnny Hardy, but apparently I'm not because <laughs> there's another Johnny Hardy out there. What'd you make of your experience? Yeah, there's another, uh, there's another Johnny Hardy, another doppelganger. Uh, it, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. It was uh, it was a long day, but it was a very productive and good day. And I, I enjoyed it in the big scheme of things. Uh, I haven't been to Mexico now in since 2018. That was the last time I went with WWE. So just uh, going to Mexico, uh, having a, a four hour meet and greet where I interacted with so many enthusiastic, so many amazing Mexican fans. Uh, American fans were there as well. But it was a, a huge event. It was outside, uh, packed house, packed stadium. 
And I was very proud of the match that uh, myself and Johnny Hardy, a.k.a. John Morrison, a.k.a. Johnny Mundo, a.k.a. Johnny Impact, a.k.a. Johnny Elite. Uh, <laughs> I, I was I was very proud of, uh, you know, our match against the the Lee brothers there. So the Armano Lees. And uh, those guys are extremely talented, you know, and it makes me once again be very envious that I'm not in my 20s again. You know, these guys can they can do everything. So it was a lot of fun. We went on last and I thought that was pretty cool to go to a, a triple mania and main event on your first shot. That was very cool. And I know that when you're making those shots out there, working with guys who are a lot younger than you and then you have to fly across the country, your body's probably feeling a little beat up. And Matt Hardy, good news. I got the perfect, perfect product for you. And they are very much important sponsors of the extreme life of Matt Hardy. And of course I'm talking about AG one from athletic greens. Mm -hmm. I, I started taking AG one because I was looking to get myself in shape at my spry age of 29. As I know <laughs> that dad bod is starting to kick in a little bit, but I know that you've been using AG one for a few other reasons. How's it been helping you so far, especially in a recovery after a trip like that? Uh, I mean, it's great. It, it, it really does. It gives you all like the, the, the vegetables and the nutrients and, and those important things that you need that you don't always get. So you can get them all there in one shot with your AG1s. And I love it. It's the first thing I do every morning. One delicious scoop of AG1 gives you 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens. And there are so many benefits to it. Tons of people take some kind of multivitamin in their life. And it's important to choose one with high quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. And AG1 is a small micro habit with big benefits. It's one thing you can do every single day to take great care of yourself. And the beauty is it costs you less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. Or if you're Matt Hardy, the assortment of beverages, if you will. And, and I got to tell you, John, uh, when it comes to AG1, uh, as, as AG1s, obviously we were going to, to talk about here on the podcast, I worked myself into a shoot. You know, I gave it a shot to see how it was and it was great. And then it's like a legitimate supplement that I take each and every day now. So I'm very appreciative for AG1. Because, Matt Hardy, you're investing in an all-in-one nutritional insurance. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. Cinco, 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 Cinco. Oh, many Cinco's. <laughs> many, many Cinco's indeed. And you can get your Cinco de Drinko on by getting yourself some AG1s from Athletic Greens because it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. Just one scoop and a cup of water every day, and that is it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look after your health. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash hardy. That is, once again, athleticgreens.com forward slash hardy to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Matt Hardy, you might even say that it's wonderful. It's delightful even. It is wonderful indeed. I am uh, very happy that I discovered AG1 uh, and taking my AG1s has been one of the best things to come out of the extreme life of Matt Hardy. I love hearing that. That's awesome. So go check that stuff out, guys, athleticgreens.com forward slash Hardy. Uh, before we dive in this week, I do want to hit a couple news items with you. I hate opening on this note, but I'm sure you have some great stories or anecdotes you'd like to share. We lost two fantastic referees this past week, Dave yeah. Hebner and Tim White. Tim White kind of looked back upon as one of the consummate employees in WWE history, was Andre the Giant's right-hand man, Dave Hebner, a legend in his own right, the Hebner brothers, of course. Anything you'd like to share about those two guys? Uh, they they were both great guys, and they really took care of me. They took care of myself and my brother back in the day. From day one, Tim was just uh, an absolute sweetheart, and he 
later on, after he stopped refereeing, we would do appearances with him. And I know we would always be excited uh, whenever we knew we had an appearance. And he was like our chaperone, or he was the guy that was uh, representing us in the appearance for, for WWE. So Tim was a sweetheart, always a good guy, would always take care of you, would always look out for the best interest of the talent. And uh, just the the consummate professional in so many ways. And and just just what a great guy overall. Great sense of humor, funny jokes, but just a very warm, kind human being. And then everyone knows about the Hebners, the famous Andre the Giant, the, the double ref swerve. Oh, my God, what happened? Uh, that was such a cool story. I remember that as one of the, the first big angles that I really got hooked on, too. And I thought it was, like, so cool. It was such a big deal. And then Dave, once again, lived down in Virginia. So we saw him quite a bit, even uh, after – Leaving WWE when he was there, he was around even at uh, TNA once in a while on some of the indie shots we do there in Virginia. But the uh, the Hebners were always super kind to the Hardys, and uh, I'm also very good friends with uh, with Earl's son uh, Brian, who is also a referee as well. But yeah, the uh, the Hebners were, were great, and I have nothing but great things to say about both Dave Hebner and Tim White. Brian's got his own podcast as well, which we'll put over here, reffing it up with yeah. Brian Hebner. So go check that stuff out. He's actually doing that show with one of our ad-free shows, Faithful. Yeah, uh, he, he always does that one, two, three. <laughs> That's his catchphrase. <laughs> I love it. Good stuff there. Good memories of them. And yeah, let's let's talk. I, I, I do. I, I'm sorry. I got to cut you off. Just Speaking of Brian Hebner, it just reminds me of such a funny story. There was one time where <clears throat> I came walking back uh, from – Somewhere, I, I want to say we were on an international trip and uh, I had maybe went to grab some food next door from the hotel, whatever it may be. And I was coming back to the hotel and I was there and I ran into a Brian Hebner, very excited Brian Hebner. And he's like, oh, my God, man. He said, you know, who's in here who's giving me a hard time. He says, the beer wolf, your boy, Michael Hayes. No. He's time. And I remember they're in there and, and you could tell uh, Michael had, had had a few and then Brian had also had a few. And they were just going back and forth with each other. And Michael, once again, was just saying, oh, you ready? You want to do a headbutt contest? You want to do that headbutt contest? Much like the famous one we talked about with him and Gangrel in Pittsburgh. And then uh, he said, all right, you want to do a head headbutt contest? Fine. Let's do it, Michael. And he got up there and they got all psyched. He said, all right, you go first. You go first because if I hit you, I'm going to knock you out. That's what Michael told Brian. And Brian, instead of doing the headbutt, he leaned back like he was. And he loved my whole version one thing when I would like, when I first started doing version one, I would put like a V1 in people's face and Brian like leaned back like he's going to headbutt. And then he took his hand and said, I'm V1 right in Michael Hayes' face and like pushed him. Michael said, you son of a bitch. And then they chased each other around for like 15 minutes in the lobby of the hotel. <laughs> and Michael never called him. It is one of the most ridiculous stories that I just have such a vivid memory of, you know, involving Brian Hebner. My favorite part of our Gangrel episode, other than Rebby's running, of course, yeah. was Gangrel just arbitrarily referring to Michael Hayes as Beer Wolf. Oh, yeah. That's, that's how he's known. That's just that's, that's what he does. We I love, are what we are. I love that so much. Well, like I said, man, big pay-per-view week for AEW. Forbidden Door. Uh-huh. Japanese wrestling galore here. Some pretty cool matches as we tape this on Wednesday morning. Maybe there will be one or two added. Who's to say? But a big-time main event, Tanahashi and John Moxley, and it seems like there's going to be some good representation across the card. I, I do want to throw this to you, though. Mm-hmm. We saw a pretty low rating from Dynamite this past week. AEW, given missing its world champion, CM Punk, right now. I think CM Punk is a big draw to the television show. It's a busy season with the NHL, the Stanley Cup, the NBA Finals just wrapped up. But is, is there... Appeal for the mass American audience to see these collaborations with, say, a new Japan. And, and how do you think that that will or will not translate? 
Um, I really don't know. Uh, I, I am, I am not sure. I mean, I know AEW obviously has built a very strong fan base and it, I feel like it was a very positive sign how fast the tickets sold out in very Chicago much so. because very it, much. it sold out like crazy. I guess after we see the, you know, the initial buy rate and, and the, the first few, uh, buy rate numbers, I guess we'll have a, a pretty fair idea. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I can, I can kind of see it leaning either way, you know, but wrestling has almost become more of a niche now than it ever has. I feel like most things in the world have because uh, entertainment has been broken in so many little fields in so many ways. And uh, I, I, I don't know, you know, considering that that number was a little lower on dynamite, was that because of lack of interest or they also said it was like a historically low night of television viewing is what I'd also read on that evening. So I, I'm just really not sure. I, you know, I don't know how to read it. And, and those numbers are, are so tricky, but, you know, we'll see about how many people actually buy the pay-per-view. I mean, it was a success from a live gate sure. perspective, at least. So I, I guess we'll just have to wait and see what that buy rate is and then, then we'll know going forward. I guess it's that mentality of giving a show that is made up of the quote-unquote dream matches. And, oh, we'll see someone cross over from here to face someone from here. Like, I know there's some people who are like, why are we getting this match? I cannot wait for Will Ospreay and Orange Cassidy. Those right. two guys are going to have a match that is going to be so unique and different than anything yeah. most American audiences typically see. Yeah, and and maybe there's I, more I, matches to come. I, I agree, and I I, uh, I enjoy both of those guys' work. So I uh, I saw some of the clips from the uh, the Willow Spray versus uh, what what is the young kid Nick Wayne? Yeah, Nick Wayne. I just that there was some amazing footage floating around from from their match in GCW. But yeah, Willow uh, Willow Spray is uh, Osprey is a very talented guy, and uh, I, I don't know him well. But the few times I've met him, I've I've enjoyed being around him. Well, once Nick Wayne is eighteen, he is coming to AEW. He's signed right. to that deal already, so he's a tremendous talent. If you haven't done a deep dive on him, Matt, definitely be sure to because his ceiling is enormously high. And yeah, one of our producers, Dom, here says. Osprey and Harwood was a great match on yeah Dynamite last week. I think Dax, I think Dax is making a case for Pro Wrestler of the Year. Man, he's been that good this year. Yeah, so, he he has been. He has he's been killing it, uh, right and left, whether it's tags or singles. He he has been killing it every single time he goes out through that curtain. Big time superstar stuff from him. And yeah, man, uh, I'm excited for the pay per view. We'll see what happens from that. And. I don't know if you have any comment on this, but I'd re be remiss if I didn't ask before we start our transition into WWE here. A little bit of mayhem in New York this past week. A whole lot of calamity, if you will. Anything you'd like to add on some of the stuff going on there? Or uh, I mean, basically, I'm going to sum this up in just a, an easy phrase. John, let it play out. I knew that was coming, Matt Hardy. We're doing King of the Ring 2000. Hit us with that mad fact. Mad fact, Matt always turns off the lights when he leaves the room. Where does that one stem from? Uh, because I do, and my wife and kids don't all the time, because it's, it's part of the old school in me. And, and I was thinking about that. like when, when we were growing up, our dad always made it a big issue because we obviously grew up like super dirt, dirt poor. And he was like, okay, whenever you guys leave this basement or whenever you leave it, make sure you cut the lights off. Make sure you cut the lights off. And that was like ingrained in my soul that I would always do that. I wouldn't leave lights. There'll be times where like I'll come home from the road and if I'm getting home late at night, like every single light in the house is on. You know what I mean? And and, it, and it's different. Obviously, uh, it, it doesn't use the amount of electricity that it used to 30 years ago, 40 years ago, whatever. You know, so, so, so it is very different. But I'm just still in that habit. And it's probably the old school in me. 
the the old Duke and Matt Hardy. You know, every time I leave a room, I cut the light out. <laughs> you have a nice Father's Day. Uh, yeah, yeah. I got I got home a little later. I obviously traveled all Sunday, getting back home. Uh, got in and we had uh, my lovely wife cooked a very special Father's Day meal for me with some of my favorite things, which was nice. And then fungo. Uh, well, it wasn't mafungo. It was different stuff. It was it was chicken, just just the way I like chicken. It, it was it was kind of an American type food, but not mafungo. Okay. But it was great. And then uh, the the kids all had some presents, and she had them fill out these sheets where they do the questionnaire thing, and they've done that. And I, I meant to have Maxwell and and Woofy pose with theirs from the week uh, the year before because those answers were so different and so unique still. And it was just like at least to Woofy, but I was two hundred ninety this year. Uh, the week before I was in the thousands or uh -huh. the year before I was in the thousands. So I'm getting younger in Wolfie's eyes, which is, which is good. I saw Maxwell said that dad, dad wears merch. And I said, that's, he, he's got it. He's onto something here. He knows. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's so, that's so funny whenever I did that because they, so my wife got them set. She, they will record videos and then she'll edit them down and she puts them on their YouTube channel because they're both Max and, uh, and Wolfie are very into streaming now. They, you know, they want to be streamers. They want to be pro wrestlers. They want to open a lemonade stand. They have all these things they want to do. Right. They want to have 10 jobs. That's what they think they want to do. And then uh, she puts together these videos for them. So she got some merch and like hooked it up to our house Hardy Twitch stuff. So there's actually baby Hardy boys merch on there. So anytime we're at home. Uh, you know, Max will go like, hey, I got uh, mama got the, uh, this shirt or merch shirt in your size. Will you wear it, dad? And I was like, yeah, sure. So I'll like wear their merch around the house, you know, so that's like their favorite thing. I and Wolfie that. is already, he gets it so much. He's on there. He says, make sure when he's four years old, he was doing this every single time. He said, make sure, like, subscribe and buy our merch. Bye. You know, like he has that line he would hit. He, he knows how to. He knows how to hit it at the very end and chill. Uh, they are. They are hearty straight through and through. It's coming, Matt. It's coming. It's in their DNA. It's in their DNA, man. It is. It absolutely is. So we're talking about King of the Ring 2000. And, and when we talk about a, a pay-per-view like that, some people may say, why waste the energy on something like that? It's a relatively mundane show. And the reason, Matt, is because we are leading you guys along the way to some significant moments in the Hardy Boys' career by going biographically from the tag team ladder match in 1999. Up until I think our first big chapter is going to be later this summer, which is going to be TLC one, right? First ever TLC match. So the last time we checked in on 2000, it was the great episode with Christian Cage that is in our archives right now at extremehardy.com, which was WrestleMania 2000, the triangle ladder match for the tag team championship. Edge right. and Christian end up winning. It's a heck of a match. that steals the show. How are you guys feeling in the aftermath of all that and your place on the card? Uh, we, we felt we felt great after that match, following that match, because we know that we went out and we we made magic and like we made history. We we knew pretty immediately. I don't think as we were actually doing it, we realized how big of a deal it would become in pro wrestling history. But like uh, the days following that, it was the first time we'd ever been looked at at like this certain level in WWE. Like we were a special special teams, special acts. Like we just made history and like uh, we're the future of the industry, you know, so that we, we had a lot of eyes on us. We had a lot of attention on us. So following that up, I was reading through some of the, some of the notes you had jotted down about everything. And just like the way we were booked following that was just so unpredictable and sporadic <laughs> and just like, it, it just, it was just nonsensical in many ways, you know, looking back, I was like, what, what were they thinking? Like, it was so weird. Like you could tell that, 
that wasn't of importance, the whole tag team scene. You can see that that like wasn't a priority because it certainly wasn't thought through with any any type of priority. Every single time we lead up to one of these big matches, I feel like that's a reoccurring theme where it's like, hmm, we're going to give the Hardy Boys, we're going to give Edge and Christian, we're going to give the Dudleys these big matches, but everything that happens in between them up until about a week or two before the match really doesn't matter that much. Right. Just let it play out. They'll win some matches. They'll lose some matches. How we get there is not all that important, but you know that when you throw those stunt men in the ring, they're going to deliver. That's the mentality I'm picking up here. Yeah, I mean, there, there was just such a, such a lack of continuity between booking. I mean, as I, as I told you before, that initially they were talking about myself and Jeff winning at WrestleMania 2000, and then they ended up going with Edge and Christian because they had just started turning heel and their uh, characters and personalities were really developing, and that, and that was the right call. And then they had told us shortly thereafter, they said, you know what? We're still going to give you that big babyface payoff. We're going to hold off till SummerSlam now, which is going to be in Raleigh, which was, you know, obviously the first TLC. So Jeff and I, we were super excited about that. But then, you know, once we got there, finally, through all this booking and whatnot, they just said, oh, well, uh, we really don't know. Like, everybody knows you're going to win. We need to, like, we need to mess with the crowd. Like, no, not necessarily. You don't. Like, if we've told our story right, everybody hopes we win and everybody wants us to win and everybody will uh, feel joy whenever we win, because that's the whole uh, meaning and the whole uh, definition of a payoff. You know, you give the people what the people want. One thing I will say, and you said you felt like they weren't really putting much of an emphasis on the tag scene. I will say that there are a lot of tag teams in the division at this time. Yeah, they are getting prominent featuring on television every week, whether it's the main event or not, they are making sure that we are highlighting the tag teams that we have here, but it feels very start stop with a it lot feels of very half-assed. Uh, you know, it's, it's just like they said, okay, well we have these teams. They're really over. So like, oh, just throw them in whatever, as opposed to like someone like, you know, th this is the point too, where they had a, a, a couple more riders at the time, this is when the writers had started growing a little bit in numbers. Like, assign somebody with us and like give us a story that like you know has has nice continuity and you can follow, as opposed to being like, boom, okay, well let's take a left turn and, and do this. Boom, oh, okay, well they can do this and they can get beat. They're still over. They'll be fine. I mean, it's just reading through a lot of what we did between WrestleMania and SummerSlam. Uh, it felt very half-assed. A lot of our booking. Well, this episode is going to focus particularly on two teams that we haven't really talked much about. We talked a little bit about one, and we haven't spoken at all about the other. And that's Too Cool and TNA, Test and Albert. So I'm yeah. excited to dive a little bit into those two teams with you. So after WrestleMania, you lose the match. You get a couple tag team wins back against the likes of the Radicals, a, a very formidable team, Perry Saturn and Dean Malenko, who are booked terribly upon coming in. Uh, they don't get any momentum at all uh, eddie guerrero and sa rios you beat al snow and steve blackman your favorite tag team ever head cheese you got out of those matches unscathed but there's nothing substantial for the hardys so i say okay let's try something a little different and on april 24th in raleigh north carolina you beat crash holly for the hardcore championship after jeff hits a swanton and you make the cover there's a little yeah something different here 
Yeah, th- this was I, – I, I, once again, I will, uh, I'll take my hat off and, and tip it to WWE for this little run of going through North Carolina. Obviously, in Raleigh, they did reward kind of like the hometown boys with something, uh, and, and that was cool that we got to do that. And then, obviously, that was leading to the match that was going to be on SmackDown in Charlotte the following night against myself and Jeff. So I thought that was good utilization of, like, the talent in the area being – uh, promoted and utilized heavily on that show in that area because you're going to have a lot of other people there as it is anyway. So I, I, I was okay with all that. And and Jeff and I were because we knew there was nothing where there was any kind of, you know, uh, there was no beef between us. We just knew it was like a little fun angle where I win the hardcore title, then we show a little competitiveness, and then we have a match and go one-on-one, and then we end up seeing the hardcore title back to the, the guy who's kind of carrying it, which was Crash Ali at that time. Yeah, and that's what happens. You guys face each other on SmackDown in about a five-minute singles match you actually hand Jeff a weapon at the start and then just smash him over the head anyway right after that. It's a fun little hardcore match. There's chaos on the outside. A million guys get involved, and Crash does ultimately end up hitting you with a trash can and pinning you, even though he wasn't in the match to start. What did you make of the whole hardcore title in general? And what did you make of Crash Holly? A very entertaining wrestler, in my opinion. I love when Jerry Lawler used to call him Elroy from the Jetsons. Uh, He he always entertained he, uh, he he was an extremely entertaining guy. I mean, like on screen and off screen, he was like a true character in, uh, you know, in every meaning of the word. So I, I, I enjoyed him. I enjoyed working with him whenever uh, it was in these hardcore scenarios or even like later on when he joined myself and Shannon when I was doing Matt Hardy V1 when Shannon was the MF or Mattitude follower, and he was the uh, the moron, you know, which was the disciple underneath Shannon. It was it was a, a very interesting scenario, and there was uh, probably like six or eight weeks that we all traveled together, and those were some some pretty wild times. Crash was a a, a crazy character on the road. What'd you make of the Hardcore Championship? I I thought it was interesting. I, I thought there were times where it was utilized in in a pretty good way. I, I thought it was unique because it was something different in the show. Uh, and I, I thought it was cool back then because you had guys like uh, you, you'd have an RVD that would win it. You had the Undertaker that won it for a little bit, which added a, a lot of credibility to it. That you had these 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 stars with this this great name value and this the star power holding the title. But I, I thought it was a fun, different little part of the show that could be utilized and like kind of turn the show into a variety show. Which I think I think wrestling is at its best when it's a half-assed variety show too. It's just a weird departure from what you guys are doing where you have so much momentum as a tag team. And now it's like, okay, we'll give them this little singles program. Then at Backlash 2000, again, just a month after this show-stealing tag team triple threat match that you guys have, you're in a scramble for the Hardcore Championship with Jeff, Taz, Perry, Saturn, and Crash instead. Right. It's a pretty big departure from where you guys were going. You just said, and you said it on the WrestleMania episode, they told you that you were going to win the championships, and now all of a sudden you're completely out of the tag team picture. Yeah, and and I guess we we knew. I, I mean, from WrestleMania, we knew we were doing a, a, a TLC or another three-way match at SummerSlam. It just depended on what we were going to do in between the time getting there. And, like, everything you're saying is correct. Uh, and I feel like if it was – Matt, now, if it was a mature Matt, uh, the, the more uh, thoughtful Matt, who like is really more involved in what he's doing on television, I, I'm sure I would have said something or questioned it, whatever. But, but back then, I was just very happy to be in a good spot and just very appreciative and grateful to be there. So I was going to make the most out of whatever it was, you know. And once again, as I said, when I returned to WWE, I knew there were going to be times where 
I wasn't going to be doing something that I necessarily liked or I thought was good. You know, I'll address it and see what I can do. And if you can't change it, then uh, so be it. You can't stress yourself over too much because it'll make you crazy. But looking back in hindsight, if it was a uh, 2022, Matt, in that scenario, I, I would have definitely asked a lot more questions and maybe try to suggest different things. Would it have worked? Maybe. Would it have worked? Maybe not. My intuition tells me stuntman Jeff Hardy probably enjoyed doing the hardcore stuff. Yeah, I, I, I think he was uh, I think he was okay with all that. Yeah, just my intuition. Yeah. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. If you could change one thing about your home, what would it be? A new kitchen, a new master bath, maybe put in a pool. What if you could do it with no money out of pocket and cheaper monthly payments? Savewithconrad.com can help, and you can even skip your next two house payments. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender, savewithconrad.com. So what I found to be notable was the night before Backlash 2000, you guys run a tag title fatal four-way on a house show with the usuals. So the Dudley boys, Etching Christian, yourself, but mm -hmm. another team's thrown in and that's Test and Albert. Right. We haven't talked about Test and Albert on this program here, but two very unique individuals. Mm -hmm. I'll start with Albert, Matt Bloom, currently mm -hmm. the head trainer for the NXT system and at the WWE Performance Center. What were your initial thoughts on Matt Bloom, formerly Prince Albert? And has there ever been a hairier man in wrestling than Prince <laughs> Albert? I don't know. I, uh, I, uh, th there hasn't been one by design, for sure. Okay. I, I, uh, I got along well with Matt. Uh, we went to the, the same dojos together. I remember there was a time where we were doing our independent shows on the end of the dojo run, and we were up in his neck of the woods, and we actually ate by a restaurant. I think we'd stop by his house. I met his big pet lizard that he had. I remember there were times where, especially then, I would try and keep a camcorder, camcorder with me, and I filmed a whole bunch of stuff. And some of that's even documented in in one of the, the Hardy Show videos, I think, that's still up on my YouTube channel at some point. Um but yeah, I always got along great with him. Uh, I liked him personally, especially like from a, a friend perspective. And I, I, I enjoyed working Test as well. Andrew as well. Also knew him from the dojos initially. And he was a really interesting character because he had like this, he, he had a big personality. He also like, he loved to play up his arrogance as much as he could too, which, which was so funny, which almost made, was like kind of one of his lovable qualities in, in so many ways. I think the trickiest thing for both of us was working with these guys whenever they first started as TNA because they kind of, you know, you had, you had the takers and you had, you know, the, the big men saying like, you guys are big men, you know, you, you, you can't go down, you can't do this and you can't do whatever where we had had the Dudleys we were working with, you know, before, obviously, you know, us edge and Christian and, and those guys would definitely be up for taking bumps and doing whatever, if it fits into the context of the story we're telling. So with TNA, it was a little tricky first working with them because still, if you have a high-flying team like, you know, Matt Jeff Hardy or like Edge and Christian or, you know, a team that is like an exciting team, you still have to, 
take bumps in the right points for these for these teams for these places for it to work. So that was one of the initial challenges of working with TNA. And I feel like the more they worked with us, uh, the much more. The, the much more they got it and, and, and the much easier they were to work with and have like a, a match that made everyone happy. Why is Matt Bloom a good trainer? What, what intangibles does he have that have allowed him to succeed in his position as head trainer there? <clears throat> I mean, it, as strange as this may sound, I, I I've never been around Matt as he's been a coach at NXT. I've never been to the NXT performance center. I've never seen anything in NXT. Really? It's so crazy. Never. I've never been there. I have no idea what it looks like. The closest I got to that venue was uh, going into some uh, storage room behind them whenever we went in to go over the WrestleMania 33 yeah. ladder match that Thursday night. That's the closest I've ever been to the wow. venue. So, so, I mean, I, I don't know. It's hard for me to speak on that. Uh, okay. Obviously, uh, obviously, he uh, does a good job at it, and there are people there that have confidence in him, and they have faith in him because he's been around for so long. So he's doing something right. Let's talk about Tess for a minute then. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, another one of those guys that just left us far too soon. Yeah. He had a tremendous look in his prime. And then even towards the back stretch of his career, when he cut his hair, he still looked like a killer. He was a monster. Mm-hmm. I feel like he had a lot of the qualities that a Vince McMahon would look at and be like, that's a future world champion. 100%. Was never able to quite put it all together at once. What's your assessment on that? Yeah, I mean, he, he was an extremely talented athlete. Like, because uh, he he could do anything on top of, you know, being a big guy that had this killer look, and he was extremely strong, powerful. But he was also very fast, agile, and I mean, he he literally could do anything. You know what I mean? He wasn't like a, a big guy that was just like a slow big guy. He was a, a big guy that could move, and he was very agile and very acrobatic. On top of that, so uh, he 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 was always a talented guy. Uh, got guys liked him. Like I said, he really played into the uh, to the arrogant gig a lot. That was like a, a lovable part of his personality. And you know, he became super famous. Like he would call everyone jobbers. He's oh whatever jobber, whatever jobber. Okay, oh yeah, sure some jobber. I mean, that was like his his go to word more than anything else. But you know, on top of saying all this, how talented and how much huge potential he possibly had. I mean, he was one of the first guys I saw kind of like in real time, like suffer from the, uh, the throes of addiction, you know, and, and he, he like really went through it. And it was one of those things where I remember there were so many people that like tried to reach out and help him, you know, several times over. And uh, it's very sad that we lost him. He is someone that should not have been gone that early for sure. I agree entirely with you on that. We'll get back to TNA in a second here, but I was looking through a lot of the records at this time and, at the end of April, we got the financial report from WWE, and I, I had to bring this up on this because it's so stark looking back then versus now and where things are. At the time, the company took in a record $379.3 million in on expenses of $293.6 million. So there's a profit margin there of $85.7 million for the fiscal year. And I want to put this into perspective. 85.7 million profit. That's a record at the time, okay? 2000. So 99 to 2000, that fiscal year. In quarter one of this past year alone, the profit for the company was 92.4 million. Quarter one, one quarter compared to an entire year here in 2000, that was a record. When I say something like that to you, what goes through your head about where? wwe is now as a property because when i process that it really helped put into perspective just how gargantuan this company has become 
Yeah, I mean, it, it shows you what Vince McMahon has grown WWE into. I mean, when it started as WWF, I mean, he bet the whole house on WrestleMania, right? And then he he has worked slowly but surely, and he has built it into just this 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 mega company that is a a, a globally beloved uh, part of pop, pop culture. And interestingly enough, this is when WWE strikes a deal with Viacom to take over the television shows. So Spike TV, TNN, whatever you yeah. want to refer to it as, UPN, all that stuff. That comes for a TV deal of $26 million. $26 million for all those shows. Whereas now, we got a billion dollars in TV deals yeah. going on with WWE. Well, I mean, once again, I mean, if you look at their their USA deal... And then the Fox deal, and then uh, the whole Peacock deal. I mean, those are three billion dollar deals themselves. I mean, and once again, it just shows how the the way to make money in pro wrestling has changed drastically over over the years too. And even so, AEW's got almost twice that as well in the TV deal. Twice right. twenty six million dollars. AEW report around forty five million dollars or so. At a time where pro wrestling is not drawing anywhere close to the numbers that it drew back during the period of. 1999-2000, it is bizarre how much things have changed. So when you see those numbers, I'm sure you guys are aware of numbers like that in some capacity as talent. Does that affect your bottom line at all when the profit margins go up? Uh, in, in 2000, they made so much money. And like that's when Jeff and I got over really huge as a tag team, like with merch and everything else. I mean, I remember quarterly getting six-digit uh, royalty checks, especially that first quarter, you know, and that was – uh, we had a downside guarantee of 75000 in 2000, you know, from the first. We signed a developmental deal initially, and then they replaced our developmental deal with a five-year deal, which was 75, 75, uh, 100, 125, 150. And that was our $75,000 uh, year in 2000, in theory. So we made uh, f- almost 15 times over our downside guarantee that year. So 2000 was a – was a was a was a was a pretty damn good year for for the Hardys, and and on top of that, it just shows too how much money was coming in because still our royalties was such a small percentage. So if we were making that much royalty wise, just imagine how much the actual company's making at that time. And one part of the breakdown that I didn't even talk about was they added for the first time sizable profits from the website for selling merchandise. For the first time, fans could go online to WWE shop and buy right. a Hardy Boys t-shirt. That was not part of the business model before that. Right. That changes the entire industry too. Yeah, That's I mean, a, a, everything about internet, social media, things have just changed so much. And, and, you know, people harp on that about the ratings thing back then. Well, wrestling was way more popular. I mean, it's just a different landscape altogether. And, and, and you, you can't there, – there's just really no – there's really nothing to that argument when you go, well, wrestling just isn't as popular as it used to be. I mean, it's just times are different. You can't compare those. I mean, it's really apple and oranges when you talk about it. I mean, because even if you go back then to like the 90s, you know, there were 50 TV channels. I, I don't know. I mean, there was a very limited amount of TV channels. And now you fast forward 2022, there's thousands of TV channels. And then there's hundreds of different networks that have streaming services. I mean, the competition is just so, so different. And and just the whole entertainment field is so, so different. But still, even like you were talking about, the Dynamite rating was down a little bit last week. It was the number two show on cable 
for all of Wednesday night. That is that is where it ranked. I mean, which still shows it is massively popular. Just things have been like narrowed down to like smaller niches now. For sure. Well, let's get back on track here. May 1st, Too Cool defeats you and Jeff. As I said, they're the other team that we're going to talk about here. It's kind of their first big win in a long time as a tag team to that point. What right. do you think of your chemistry with them as a tag team? And do you have anything you'd like to add individually on Scotty Tuhati and Grandmaster Sexay Brian Christopher? Uh, I, I loved working with Too Cool. Uh, when they were initially too much, we were married to them on the road in the beginning. You know, we worked with them, with them every night. We would do the the ten days on, four days off, and and our first program on the road was uh, myself and Jeff versus Too Much in the opening match, and we had killer matches with those guys. And then you know, obviously, we followed that up with like Edge and Christian, where we had killer matches with those guys as well. But Scotty, always oh, been super close with him. Uh, we actually hung out one night when there was a big snowstorm, when there were a whole bunch of guys in Pennsylvania there to do extra work, enhancement work. And the show was canceled for that day and it was going to be the next day or whatever, but we actually got to spend some time with Scotty and that was our first time really getting to know him a little bit, you know, when we were like kind of all stranded because the, the show got snowed in. And then uh, as times went on, we became closer and closer friends with Scotty. Uh, we've always liked Scott. We, we've got along. We're all very, myself and Scott, for instance, are very, very like-minded. I would say uh, I like Brian Christopher as well. He was much more of like a party animal at that time. More of a more of a more of a wild guy as opposed to how I was in the beginning. So it wasn't as close with him, but I always liked him and always enjoyed talking to Brian. He always entertained me because he was always so funny. He was just this uh, larger than life, over the top character. So loved working with them. Both were great in the ring, and and I feel like Scotty Tuhati. It's it's so amazing that he didn't really get over huge until the whole worm came about, and it's. So weird because Scotty has a great wrestling mind. He's very smart about how he structures matches and whatnot. And he was a, a great worker, especially if you watch any of his old indie stuff that he did. I mean, he can do anything, a fantastic worker. But like he didn't get over until he came up with this absurdness that was the worm. You know, and even watching the reaction that the worm got in the match that we're going to watch in a little while, I was like, whoa, man, this is so crazy that, you know, he is just uh, just over so huge, you know, because of this whole gig. He's doing this. This character is too, uh, you know, it's too cool. And then the worm, W-O-R-M, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. And the way the crowd would make the noise before he dropped down with the chop was just so funny. Scotty was a secret sauce of that tag division at that time. He was one of those special talents. He was one of my favorite talents of that era. And he's back on the indie scene now, killing it once again, having one last run, which is very cool. I was supposed to work a show with him in Maine, but Big Money Matt wouldn't let me work that show, if you recall. I don't know if you remember talking to Big Money Matt about that, but that was back oh, in yeah. February. He, he just said I had obligations to Big Money Matt, so oh, he didn't get to work that. Big, big Money Matt is like Vince. He does what's best for business. <laughs> if you don't believe me, just let it play out, John. Just let it play out. Well... As is traditional WWE booking, they go on to lose to Edge and Christian via disqualification on Sunday Night Heat a little after that. And eventually they gain a six-man program with Rikishi squaring off against Edge, Christian, and Kurt Angle in a match at Judgment Day that they would win. I loved Kurt Angle with Edge and Christian. I thought he was so perfect with them. They brought out a lot of Kurt Angle's personality. They were essential to that, yeah. in my opinion. Do you have any thoughts on that? I, I do agree with that. I, I, I think pairing them with Kurt Angle was really, really good uh, for, for Kurt because, like, once again, Kurt, when he first started in the dojo, I remember one of my first matches with him, we did a thing where we got in the corner and I chopped him a couple times. And obviously, you know, when you chop someone, you hit the motherfucker as hard as you can. You know, that's just how, how chops go. And I remember Kurt looking at me like, what are you doing? You know, he was, like, almost so offended by it, like he was going to take me down and, like, really whip my ass. 
you know, but that just shows how much Kurt grew and how, how great and just how, how much of a, uh, you know, God, he was a, a prodigy for pro wrestling, you know, the way he caught on and, and learned things and being with edge and Christian guys who knew the ins and outs of wrestling, especially from doing indie wrestling. It was perfect because they were, they were great to kind of like lead Kurt in the right direction. And then Kurt really opened up and, and found this amazing entertainment version of himself. Do you know the story about Kurt's first meeting with Vince McMahon? Uh, I may have heard it Re- refresh my memory. So this is a great story for anyone. I can encourage you to check out something to wrestle in their archives for the full story. But basically, Vince McMahon has this meeting with Kurt Angle, and he offers him this 10-year contract that's worth a crap ton of money. And Kurt's first question, because he had no concept of the professional wrestling industry, he goes, well, I'm never going to lose, right? I have to win every single match. An Olympic gold medalist is never going to lose a fake fight. Yeah. And Vince said, we'll see you later. (laughs) And, and, And he declined to offer him a deal at that point and yeah. Kurt came back years later for significantly less money after finally figuring out what pro wrestling was about so at this point in 2000 he's only been on the main roster for about six seven months he's learning a lot on the fly yeah and Ed and Christian are good guys to have in there with him and I I, I did know that story and uh, I, I remember that now that you say that and that is that is legitimate like Kurt's like oh my god I didn't know what was going on <laughs> I, I, you remember he went to ECW too and uh, watched a match there. He was like in, in talks with those guys at one point. He's like, what is going on here? And that's where they did one of the, their craziest angles ever. And then Kurt's like, I, I really didn't understand pro wrestling. When I was first you know, talking about doing pro wrestling, I just didn't understand what it was, but now I do. See, the Hardys are just used to doing jobs left and right, so it doesn't really matter at that point for them. Yeah, it's easy to get us to do a job, man. You got the last laugh because you stole his fucking fireworks at WrestleMania, so that's all <laughs> that matters. Yeah, I guess so. So they're on that Judgment Day pay-per-view, which is in May, two months after WrestleMania, in that right. sixth man. The Hardy Boys are nowhere to be found. They're not on that pay-per-view. This is just two months after this ladder match. But you're not concerned at all because you know where this is going ultimately at SummerSlam. You're confident enough that they're going to follow through on plans here? I think so. I, I do remember that Judgment Day pay-per-view you were talking about. I remember uh, being really bummed out because initially we were going to be on it. And something changed last moment where we weren't. And I remember thinking like, oh, man, that's weird we're not on the show, which, you know, I, I got how it was. Like if you're hot and you're in the middle of stuff, if you're in the mix and people are doing something with you're going to be on the pay-per-views, obviously, if they have these these angles set for you. And I remember missing that Judgment Day pay-per-view and being a little bit like, man, I wish it wouldn't have changed. I was a little bummed out about it. But that was that was one of those things where they just uh, they, they changed whatever direction they were doing and we ended up not being on it. And I know you're doing well financially, but LiveGate is still a really important part at this point of the pay structure. So when you're not on a pay-per-view, you're, in theory, missing out on a payday, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a payday, which the, the pay-per-view paydays were, were very good back then. Very different. You know, now, now, but back then, it was a legitimate downside. And, and there was a lot of reason to be motivated to work harder and you know you had the initiative to like try and bust your ass to get over as big as you could because you really could like i said you know you know we made 15 times what our downside guarantee was so back then uh you you wanted to be on those pay-per-views because you want to get that extra pay-per-view payday and then you know once again wrestling is a business at the end of the day you want to make as much money as you possibly can but the thing i was the point i was even making uh, about that was like 
downside guarantees were like legitimate then and you would make more and you would go over whatever it was. Uh, nowadays, whenever you sign a contract, they, they, they still call it a downside guarantee, but it, it's your salary. That's what you're going to make. You're not going to make yeah, you know a, a lot more over that. So we're going to get to the watch along in just a couple minutes here, guys, because we want to watch this match back with you. Matt Hardy brand on YouTube. Make sure you're subscribed and you'll be able to physically watch it with us. But I want to showcase the chaos, the absolute chaos of WWE tag team booking leading up to this pay-per-view because here we go. So too cool. We just talked about them winning this six man tag. Well, on the Sunday, May 28th house show, they lose clean to TNA. But the very next night, they defeat Edge and Christian to win the Tag Team Championship on Raw after Rikishi and Josie, Josie, of course, yep. the little man rapper who was yep. involved with Kid Rock at the time. Yeah. He hits jo- Christian in the balls with a hockey stick, Matt. Jo- jo- Josie loved pro wrestling, man. He was like a, a kid in a candy store every time he was there. I mean, he was so passionate about it. I think Kid Rock was like, yeah, wrestling's pretty cool. But like Josie was just like, he was obsessed with it. He loved it so much. He, he was having the time of his life there. And we lost Josie just a couple months after yeah. this, actually. Yeah. So he got to have his little moment. The crowd went nuts, no pun intended, when they when he hit Christian in the nuts with the hockey stick and too cool becomes tag team champions. Those consummate baby faces too cool win via multiple distractions here. And that, that, that's also very, what you were saying about them winning the titles. That's a very WWE booking before someone wins a title. A lot of times they'll have a team beat, beat them and they'll say, well, it's going to give us a, a contender automatically. You know, that's like their mentality, which it's, it's totally the opposite of how Tony Khan thinks, which is, it's so intriguing how there's so many different mindsets, you know, well, that week on SmackDown, you guys end up facing Too Cool in a fun match here because you guys somehow became number one contenders despite not being on TV for the past couple of weeks and losing a championship match a few weeks prior to that. Not complaining. But uh, it, it went too hard. You could just go backstage and say, hey, I want a title match. Give it to me. <laughs> hey, okay, we let's have, get in the ring. We have the we power. Have, we make this title match. We had Commissioner Foley at the time. He was a very liberal commissioner. He gave people uh-huh. opportunities. So, uh, yeah, you got your title match with Too Cool here crowd is super into it how could they not two of their favorite tag teams going at it and the match is interrupted by kane who lays out both teams and don't worry kane would beat you and jeff in a two-on-one handicap match just a couple weeks later oh how we love that so much yeah how are you guys feeling after that because you got new tag champs they're getting overshadowed by this angle you guys are finally getting something to bite your teeth into and you're getting overshadowed by this angle and kane has no involvement whatsoever with you guys uh, that that I mean, I remember that. That was one of those extremely frustrating WWE moments, you know, that would like drive you crazy. You're like, hold up, man. We've like brought tag team wrestling to like a brand new level that it's like never reached before, especially after this thing at WrestleMania. And now you just like give so little of a shit about us. You're just going to throw us in this handicap match with Kane and have him beat uh, this one of your top tag, tag teams. Like just, just very frustrating. But once again, it goes back to their mentality. Like they really – you know, they, they don't take tag team wrestling serious, <laughs> you know, like because that anyone who did take tag team wrestling serious would never put us in that position because that they, they, they're putting us in a position to, to fail in the big scheme of things. And, and I think their mentality then was just like, oh, well, nobody's going to remember. It. They don't really care. Whatever. You know, a loss is a loss. Nobody cares. Nobody's going to remember. It. We'll do something cool with you next time and everything will be fine. That was always the rationale. Is, is it a credit to the ideology of thinking, too, that, the Hardy Boys, too cool. They're over enough that we can do this and it's not going to affect them. 
Yeah, I mean, there's something to that, but that's I think glass that, half full mentality. That, you love being glass half full. That's a glass half full mentality. Though. Yeah, I mean that that that's that's the only blessing in that for sure. I mean, e- even when we had that match, I remember like being very frustrated at that point that we were having a handicap match with Kane, but we just tried to make the most out of it and we tried to make us look as good as we possibly could in defeat. Um, but that that is their mentality, and there is truth to that. That if a, a team is over. They don't need to win. They can get beat and they can bounce right back because people legitimately love them. There, there is truth to that. But in the big scheme of things, it's just it's it's poor booking. It's like lazy booking, and it's just like you're putting one of your top tag team acts in a in a position to to fail. You know, it's it's really not. Get, we can bounce back from it, but it really doesn't do anything for us except makes us look bad. Like these two guys got beat by one guy. You know, so just you shouldn't. I, I feel like it's irresponsible to put one of your top tag teams, especially one who was selling record-breaking merch at that time. the The numbers and the profits we were making, like why why would you sacrifice us and and put us in any position like that to fail? Well, let's get some more Matt Hardy singles matches, and why don't we while we're at it? Because on SmackDown the following week, you face Eddie Guerrero in a King of the Ring qualifier. I watched this match back in my preparation for this. It's it's a short match, but it's a good match. Mm-hmm. And you and I uh, would say this now. We're going to talk about Eddie in long form this year on the anniversary of his passing. And right. I think that's going to be a tremendous episode. I'm really looking forward to that. But Same. I opened up questions this week to just our ad-free shows fans. And Dylan wants to know, where does Eddie rank in terms of opponents that you've ever been in the ring with? Uh, Eddie, Eddie is up there. Uh, Eddie's greatest gift, I think, was just reading a crowd. As far as like, I've never been in the ring with someone who is more talented at like reading a crowd and changing directions on the fly because of how the crowd reacts. And and I feel like that was Eddie's biggest gift. He, he just had such a great ear. You know, a lot of times, you know, in wrestling, guys are working one another and we'll say, okay, well, just, you know, let's right here, we'll both sell. Like, let's listen to the crowd and let the crowd tell us when it's time to go to the next thing, you know, and, and listening to the crowd is, is so important, especially if you have like a ton or you're trying to build up you know, to a crescendo of, of, of crowd noise, crowd reaction, being able to hear and, and listen to the crowd is like so important as opposed to just going through the motions. No one in this business that I faced was more talented at, at reading a crowd and changing directions on the fly more than Eddie Guerrero. He, he was he was the best at it. So so he, he definitely ranks up there. There were some things I, I feel like Eddie would uh, incorporate some Lucha stuff in there, which was fun sometimes. Sometimes it, it, I, I may have felt like, oh, well, I might do this as, as a character here or do that. But Eddie was the guy with the seniority, and I trust him, and I would always listen to him. And I always enjoyed working with him because I, I feel like on top of being able to change direction, and and, and that was fun. You know, if, if you were getting different crowd reactions, he would change what you would do on the fly. So that that kind of that kind of made it fun and exciting as well. You're getting to compete in King of the Ring here. I know you're such a big macho man, Mark. Macho King stands out right. to me all the time. Was it cool again to be a part of that, even if it was just a brief little opportunity here for the first time? Uh, yeah, I think I think so. I mean, just a- a- anytime you do, uh, anytime you partake in in one of these matches or tournaments that have been established that are you know famous, uh, I think it's always a credit to you and your resume as well. So yeah, of course. And you get another opportunity the next week. You get a singles match with Chris Benoit for the Intercontinental Championship, which you don't win, but. You're getting some high-profile singles opportunities here. The Hardcore Championship, King of the Ring, Intercontinental Championship. Did anyone at that point come to you and say, hey, Matt, we're checking you out here as a singles guy? No, and and, and they weren't. 
I, I think they both trusted myself and Jeff in, in singles atmospheres at that time, you know, and they put us in the ring with these guys that were great workers like Chris Benoit, who, you know, if you're in the ring with him, you're going, you're all in, you're going hundred percent. There's no ifs, ands or buts about it. Or, you know, or Eddie Guerrero, who is a, an, an extremely talented performer, you know, so the fact that they trusted us and, and, and would put us in those environments, in those scenarios uh, was a, a credit to us. I feel like, you know, but once again, I just feel like, Tag team wrestling isn't a priority. It isn't the most paramount. Uh, but but they had these guys that are super talented. They go like, we have Matt Hardy, we have Jeff Hardy, we have the Ed- Edge, we have Adam, we have uh, Christian. We can put them against anybody and we can have a good match. And that that happened a lot as opposed to like them really primarily focusing on us as a tag team and like making our tag team great. They were just, you know, we were very interchangeable. They would use us for whatever segment that they they needed to work and they knew they could trust us to have a good match. Well, there's one more element of this that we have to talk about before we get into the watch along, and that's TNA getting back into the picture here with all these tag teams. And more specifically, Trish Stratus. She ends up teaming with TNA, and they defeat you, Jeff, and Lita in a mixed tag. And it's clear that Trish Stratus is going to be long for some success here in WWE. She comes in as a former fitness model. She's kind of the eye candy for TNA. But mm-hmm. quickly, she starts getting some opportunities in the ring. How essential was Trish Stratus to the overall presentation of TNA? And what were your impressions of her when she came in there? Uh, you could tell that she legitimately enjoyed pro wrestling and that she legitimately wanted to, to work hard and like bust her ass and be better. And she, she wanted to be a wrestler. I think she stayed that right from the jump. But she was... Uh, she was clutch to helping TNA uh, get over and, and and be in the mix as they were. She was uh, added, you know, her being added to Tess and Albert was a huge asset to them. And it, it made the world of difference for those guys too, as well. And it really helped tie them together as a unit and all fit well with the, the whole play on TNA, obviously. So Tr- Trish was very, she was a hard worker. She was very motivated and you could tell that she was, she was there to do the work and like become a star. She was really driven to. No doubt about that, and that would get us on our road to King of the Ring 2000 where we're going to get a four-way elimination match that you guys did actually run as a house show prior to this, but eventually we find our way to pay-per-view here. So again, for those of you who are watching us on YouTube, Matt Hardy brand, you'll be able to see this. If not, you'll be able to hear parts of it as we go through it. So let's not waste any more time here. I'm going to ask you some questions as we embark on this, Matt, and let's cue it up here. Sounds good. So this comes to us from Boston, Massachusetts. Now the TD Garden, the former Fleet Center, 15,388 fans in the building, paying $865,000. Big time game here. What do you think of working in Boston in general? I was just going to say, it just looks so weird that Edge has his coat all the way buttoned up or whatever it is. I mean, it's obvious he has something underneath it, but just like working out already, like red herring, like, oh, my God, he's got something underneath him because he looks like a psychopath coming out with his cut uh, coat totally buttoned up or whatever. Um, I, I, I've i always enjoyed Boston. Uh, Boston is, has been a, historically been a, a good crowd, uh, especially for like for myself or for myself and my brother. And uh, I, I got to tell you, there's a – uh, a little spot too, uh, Kowloon's in Boston, which everybody, oh, yes, of course, everybody would love to go to Boston's to go to Kowloon's afterwards. Kowloon's is a legendary pro wrestling Chinese stop that everybody's cool. got to get to. 
Unreal. It is so, so good. And and that was like, especially back in these days, it was such the cool thing to do. Like they would uh, set uh, a whole floor aside for just all the wrestlers. So we would always go out and uh, eat at Kowloon's and like uh, uh, my buddy, Andy Wong, who, who was there, uh, a great dude, always took such great care of it. It's always great to see him. I still get to see him once in a while when we're in Boston. That's a very cool ambiance inside the restaurant too. Yes. It's, it's a very unique place. Go check that out. Look at Edge. Edge is wearing the Mets jersey there. This is 2000, keep in mind. So they're going to play on the Mets being hot. And then there's Bill Buckner tie-ins as well. I'll go audio up here for a second. Uh-huh. Remember this, He's wearing a Mookie Wilson jersey, Bill Buckner, the Red Sox first well, baseman, I... of course, in the 86 World Series. Buckner? Yeah, Bill, Ball goes Bill through Buckner. his legs. And, and, you know, just when, when they're doing the five-second poses and, and these little antics, I mean, this is what really this is what really got these guys over huge because they really were – they were on the verge of splitting them up before they, they really tapped into this gig and, and, and really went all in on it. Here is TNA, Testin Albert. There she is leading the strut to the ring, Trish Stratus. <laughs> Looking like a million bucks. Too, it's so, so funny. Matt Bloom there, he's wearing that Hardy Boy shirt. That's right. I said, hey, brother, that's as close. You got some leather pants on, but this is almost gimmick infringement, brother. <laughs> well, then he'd go to become Tensai at some point, so things changed up a little bit for him. Yeah, uh, he, he he definitely went through some changes for sure. Albert, Prince Albert, Tensai. A-Train. A-Train. Dude worked a WrestleMania match against The Undertaker. Yeah, it was a, a, a handicap, correct? Mm-hmm. It was who was it? A train and who versus Taker? Big Show. Yeah, that that was one of the weirdest Undertaker WrestleMania matches ever. It was supposed to be a tag team match, but Nathan Jones couldn't work. Not because he was hurt; he just couldn't wrestle, oh. and he wasn't ready for the match. Oh, there so you he have came it. and did one spot, and that was that. I so said the Hardy Boys are in the ring, and here comes Too Cool. I want to go up with the audio for them for a second. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was so, so happy that Scotty done this great success with people. Because once again, him, uh, you know, being like a, a close personal friend of, uh, of, of, of mine, uh, he, great guy, great dude all the way around. So it was great that he, he had this period where it was real over and they were real hot and he got some accolades added to his, uh, to his list, like the, the tag team championships. So this is going to be a fatal four-way elimination match, a.k.a. we're going to eat up some time on this pay-per-view because every yeah. team going to get eliminated. So that's a little different. That's something that you don't see all the time. And it, it does mean you're going to be able to tell some stories in the match itself as well. And mm-hmm. Brad wants to know, Matt, do you like the elimination match format? I, I'm okay with it. I mean, I think it's uh, I think it's different and unique, especially if it's not overused. I think it's a it's it's a cool concept to like tell a little bit of a different story in a match. So yeah, I, I'm down with them. I, I don't think they need to be overdone though. I think you have to use them sparingly and 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 put them in real smart places. Were you in WWE still a couple years ago when Vince made that ultimatum that like every match was going to be a two out of three falls match? Uh no, that was uh, that was after I was got, that was during the pandemic, right? I, th- I could have sworn it was before, but it might have been right at the beginning of the pandemic. I, I, I feel like that was right at the beginning of the pandemic because he was trying to find ways to like optimize 
his TV programming because there wasn't a crowd out there, I feel like. And that's what he was trying to like, you know, get a fall. And then they come back and you still have these people in there. And probably because the rosters were so limited, you know, I, just everybody was trying so many different and new things. in. I'm, I'm pretty sure that happened right at the beginning of the pandemic, but I, I, I obviously I was, I was gone then because that's uh, the beginning of the pandemic is when I debuted for AW. Cool little spot there. I could have sworn it was just before, so. but I might be wrong. Because uh, I think it was one of those weird Vincisms where he didn't want commercials and matches. All of a sudden, he decided right. that. So he's like, "All right, well, we'll give them a finish, and then we'll just start a match again right after that." It's just such a weird Vince thing. But, yeah, he. Uh, I, I don't know. You know, he's not a Tony Khan. Loves the picture in picture. He'll do anything to retain right. that audience. That those numbers through the commercial break. Yes, those commercial breaks are are the enemy. You know, to uh, to to pro wrestling television for sure, because you know if you ever seen any reports of the minute by minutes, I mean that's when they drop. You know, there's a commercial, yeah. and people start turn, changing the channel, man. It just it shows everyone's low attention spans in this day and age. There's Trish causing some trouble with you there in the ring with Albert. That uh, duck one clothesline and get you with the other one was a, a big famous spot of his that he loved to do. Let's throw those hardy boys in there to take those stuntman bumps with the big men. Yeah. Get the big guys in there. Make the big guys look good, stuntmen. <laughs> he was uh, – uh, Andrew, too, was like he, he he could sell really well whenever he did sell. Uh, it, it's just I, I really – I wish he could have – I wish he could have reached his full potential, you know, when it was all said and done because yeah. he really did. He had he had the potential to to go to the top and like be a, a huge deal in pro wrestling. And Dom says it was June 2019 when Vince did those commercial break matches. Mm, June 2019. Be thankful you didn't oh, have to work any of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I I I I, uh, I was still there then, uh, but but I, I for some reason felt like it was the pandemic, but but I I am not sure, but I, I don't remember. I, I was never talked about that. Yeah. I never had to deal with that. No one ever said like, "Hey, we want you to do this and have a two out of three falls match and whatever it 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 may be." Kind of cool little foreshadowing we just saw, by the way, as you hit a big twist of fate there on yeah. test after a distraction. Is this going to be good enough? Nope. But a little foreshadowing, we just saw what, to my knowledge, is the first interaction between Trish and Lita, who would go on to become big-time rivals, obviously. Right. So mm -hmm. cool little interaction there. And now we're back in it. Maybe a little pump handle slam here. This was his deal. Oh, I know it's coming here. There's going to be a swan town out of this. Oh, that was cool. Right over Albert as he was charging. I like that. Yeah. And just like uh, that that dive. <laughs> did get over it did. <laughs> yeah. Well, there goes TNA. Yeah, that was a that, that was that was a hot finish. That that was very Hardy Boys at the time. That is the kind of the kind of uh performance and that is the kind of finish that we wanted in our matches. Excitement, unpredictability. Well, Bryant would like to know. During this time, there were a lot of hot potatoes with the tag team titles. Does Matt think it helps or hurts the titles to have them switch hands so frequently? It, 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 I, I really feel like it depends how it's done. I, I think it is great if you have someone who chases a title, a tag team title for a long time. Uh, for instance, like whenever we did, when we were talking about winning them at one point at WrestleMania 2000, and then we're going to win them at TLC. And they said, oh, my God, everybody's going to know because it's in your hometown. You know, which I, I thought that was a good thing. <laughs> and then they ended up doing it the month after at Unforgiven in a cage match. And I, I wish that reign could have been longer because that's when, like, we legitimately were the best tag team in the world. 
And I felt like we were deserving of the tag team titles. The first time we won the tag team titles, we didn't need a long reign because they were just elevating us. But whenever we had the tag team titles that next time, later on in 2000, we were elevating the tag team titles by having them. And I would have liked to have had a, a longer, like a better, more successful run. I, I think it's okay to maybe switch titles quickly a couple times here and there if it fits in the context of the story. But I think if you have someone who is deserving of, of a good championship run, they, they need to have that good quality championship run. Travis says too cool often gets overlooked when great tag teams get discussed. Uh, what do you think of them in the context of this era? They were over like Rover, but why don't you think they get some of the love that other teams do? I, probably because if they would have been involved, like in the, the TLC stuff, if they would have been in the, in the ladder matches and the table matches and the TLC matches, they, they probably wouldn't have been a lot more beloved. I think they were great, and I think they were a very integral part of the tag team division at this time, and they were over huge. Every night they were one of the biggest pops. But I, I feel like just the, the three teams, you know, myself, my brother, Edge Christian, and the Dudleys that were involved in that were almost like a, a level above everyone else because of our TLC contributions. Do you think they could have fit well into the whole TLC structure? I, I think they could have. I, I, I do think they could have. Uh, I, I think they would have been very – smart and unique about the way they interacted and they would do some funny stuff, some comedy stuff, but I, I, I think there would have been room for them in there. I, I think they would have done okay in that. All right. We're bringing things to a little bit of a halt here. I like it, man. I, I like this match a lot so far. And I like that every team is getting a chance to work with one another in this match so far. Mm -hmm. There's a, we finally got Christian Cage back to being a heel. Yes, you predicted it. You said back in February, Jungle Boy could not trust Christian Cage. Oh, I knew that. I mean, that, that was that was inevitable for sure. And I feel like that is that's one thing we we were really good at, like uh, you know, integrating all of the people in Team Extreme into a match where we were like one unit. So we went out of our way to do that. So yeah, that's, and look, that's, that's very important. That's kind of what that's what got the whole package over. Lita did great Hurricane Rana. She did great moonsaults. And when you can use those high spots to your advantage and pop the crowd with them, why not? Here I am with my old lifelong frenemies, Edge and Christian making a little comeback and then getting just a boot to the head. <laughs> hey, this is what people pay to see. They pay to see Edge and Christian. They pay to see the Hardy Boys going at it. So, mm -hmm. And this is nonstop, Matt. We are bang, 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 bang here. Yeah, everything has been. Twist of fate. Oh, you're too close to the ropes there, Matt. I was just going to tell you. Yeah, we would have had him. We would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for that edge on <laughs> both of those accounts. Twist of fate and the swanton. There we go. Matt looking for the twist yeah. of fate, but into the unprettier. That was, a, that was super smooth. Very cool. And the Hardy Boys are out. Yeah, that was a, that was a super smooth finish. I like that finish a lot. Yeah, everything about that finish was really good. I was way way cool with that. It was it was very 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 wisely done. It was two on one. Yeah, and also too, like we just did. I mean, they had like you know pulled me out, which is in theory cheating. You know, Jeff's going up for the Swanton, pulls him down, and then uh, you know, in there grabbing the guy in the ring, and and the other guy uh grabs him while while my attention is distracted. It it, it worked. Everyone uh, everyone looked good in it. 
Joseph asks, one year after your King of the Ring match against Edge and Christian, do you think 2000 was the best year of tag team wrestling in the company's history based on the growth at that point? I I, I think 2000 was a, a huge year for tag team wrestling because of the, the WrestleMania 2000 match and also because of the TLC match at SummerSlam, the first TLC. But like uh, overall, I don't know. The, 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 the booking still just wasn't taken as serious as I would have liked to have seen it taken. So I, I don't know if I can say it is the best year. I, I would say it was a big year because we stole shows on both those major cards, the two biggest cards of the year on WrestleMania and SummerSlam. Like we, we rocked the house and, and we like had these, these groundbreaking matches. So that made it a big year for tag team wrestling, you know, but maybe we just kind of did that on our own. I, I, I can't say that uh, their support and, and their booking of us is what led to it. I would say it's just uh, going out and like tearing down the house because we were put in these unique situations. This pay-per-view is the King of the Ring that Kurt Angle actually defeats Rikishi to win King of the Ring. Mm-hmm. And it's a big moment for Kurt. He's only been in the company for a little bit. Uh, Augie, well, I'll get I'll get to Augie's actually in a second here, but uh, Michael asked, what are Matt's thoughts on the King of the Ring tournament as a storytelling device? And he Augie wants to know who does Matt really feel benefited from King of the Ring title in the years following this match? Uh, the years following this match? Yes. So I, I guess following this pay-per-view, if there's anyone that stands out to you. See, it, when, whenever I hear King of the Ring, I'm just going to say this. For, the first person that comes to my mind is, is Owen Hart. I knew that. I, I thought he, he, he utilized it the best. I thought he made the most out of it, and he really made it into, into something unique and special. Gosh, looking on on it in years past this, it it's weird. It, it's hard for me to even remember the people who won because I feel like it, they were they were never put into a position where they went all in with yeah. being winning. You know, I, I feel like it's like a win, and then it's kind of forgotten about a couple months later. Following Edge, so. Edge, Edge actually won it the year after this, so mm-hmm. Edge would win it. Brock Lesnar would win it, but uh, you, you, you know who uh, I, I would say. Uh, did, did did Booker T win King of the Ring? King Booker. Yeah, I mean that that, that would be the best utilization, I would say. I from agree. Here. Because King Booker because King Booker went all in with the gimmick. Did the gimmick voice, had Charmel, and it was like super entertaining and super memorable. So I, I would go with Booker. We just did an epi- episode of Up for Debate on that King Booker versus the King of Hearts, who was the better King of the Ring. And it was a fun one we did. Those, those would those would be the, the two standouts, in my opinion. Let's go sound up here for this hot tag. And there's a tag. Here comes in. Here comes Grandmaster Sexy. Those bumpers and feeders, Matt. Yeah. Grandmaster taking care of some business here. Oh, yeah. Very, uh, very Memphis comeback there. I like it. <laughs> this is not very Memphis, but that was. <laughs> Getting tangled up in the ropes. Underneath. <laughs> uh, good old catapult spot. I like that. That's fun. Yeah. Rolls them up. Uh, Edge and Christian were so great at being heels. They were they were so good as heels, especially from a, a a work aspect. You know, working them in the ring as far as them, you know, bumping and feeding and and the way they sold and and the way they weren't afraid to to look dumb. They were they were so great as heels. One more great question I got for you here. Because this mm-hmm. is also the match we were talking about the Hardcore Championship for. Right. The Hardcore Championship match on this card is Pat Patterson versus Gerald Briscoe in an evening gown match. 
Okay. Adam wants to know, did anybody, to your knowledge, try to rib Patterson or Briscoe before their evening gown match? <laughs> I don't I don't think so. Uh, n- not, that, not that I know of. I'm sure – I know guys were giving them a hard time. I know JBL said, well, hell, let's have an evening gown match tonight, gentlemen. You know, and Briscoe was still – even at that – you know, at, at this point in his career, he was still known as a shooter, you know, so uh, not too many people were going to test their luck with him. But, no, I, I, I do remember that night. It was very wild. Here you go. Oh, I love this spot. Hit you. Up. Hit the volume here. Because once again, this is uh, this Billy Hunt. And this little spot here is what makes Scotty too hot. He's one of the most popular guys in the, in the country. The hot feet. And this is, to me, this is pro wrestling is best. Over the top entertainment. I love it. And uh, whenever he does the swooshes here, <laughs> unreal. So over, and it was it was like that every single night, you know. It was one of you know we'd figure out how we're going to get to that in in a house show, just try and plug it in and and put it in a real good spot. It was always one of the the most over things of the entire night. You know, I was going to take the worm at that indie show too before Big Money Matt told me I couldn't go. Oh and yeah, I, was, I will never let Big Money Matt live that down. Is that okay? Was <laughs> well, there you go. It wasn't meant to be. <laughs> it, it, it must have been divine intervention then, John. It must have been. Must have been. It would have been a career highlight for me, for sure. <laughs> Grandmaster Sexay taking the belt to the back. One, two, quick finish. Scotty oh, can't break it up. We got that, new tech. Uh, I love that finish, too. Totally done with the finish. How about that? And the greatest warriors in the history of tag team wrestling, Edge and Christian, celebrating their win. They worked so hard for that win. There you have it. Look at Scotty's hair. Didn't move once. <laughs> He's selling it huge. That was fun, man. That was I a good little match. Who's going to take care of your family if something happens to you? What would they do without your income? If you don't have a plan, you need to go to GoliathLife.com. Get a quick quote from more than 20 carriers. You don't even have to leave the house. If you need a medical exam, they'll send somebody to your house or office. You're in total control. You pick the rates, you pick the payments, you pick the terms. You're in total control, but it gives you and your family peace of mind. What if something happens to your income? Hurry to GoliathLife.com. How many stars you give in that match? Um, I, I would give that star. I, I would give that. Uh, I'd give it uh, four and a half stars. Four and a half. Wow. Yeah, I, I would have given it five if the Hardys would have went over. That's true. That may That's that true. may or may not be biased, but. <laughs> well, Dave gave it two and three quarter stars. I thought it was a better match than that. I thought I'm, I'm going three and a quarter for that match. I liked it a lot. Really? Uh, two, two and three quarters? Mm-hmm. Two and three quarters. I mean, I would have, I would have, I would have still said legitimately, I, I would have said three and a half or four. It, it was a great match. It was a great match. And it got a lot of things accomplished and it, it moved. It was very exciting. It was a solid match. Every team got a chance to shine. That's always a good a good opportunity for each team uh-huh. that's in the match itself. Maybe TNA got thrown out of there a little quickly, but for the amount of time the match got, which I believe was around 14 minutes, never dragged, felt like it kept moving. I, I got no qualms about that match. It was very entertaining. No, I, I liked it. I, th- I thought it was extremely solid. And it highlighted, it highlighted the progress of Too Cool and how much they had climbed the card. And that's why I was really yes. excited to watch that match back. Mm-hmm. 
Man, uh, that was a lot of fun, Matt. A lot of fun looking back at this 2000 King of the Ring match. Anything else you'd like to add about this era here This as we trudge through the summer, eventually on to TLC1? Yeah, I, I just, uh, you know, w- once again, upon looking back at it, it's just still mind-blowing how impactful, you know, the, the, the big matches we'd had over the last, you know, eight months or whatever, you know, starting with a tag team ladder match the tables match with the Dudleys at Royal Rumble and then the triple threat ladder match at WrestleMania. Those were so such big deals in WWE history. And it was such a huge deal for the tag team division. It's a little, a little saddening that like the tag team division didn't have more thought put into it from a booking perspective. So that, that that's my initial gut reaction to all this. Well, next week here on the extreme life of Matt Hardy, it's a big one and it's something different. We're going to be taking a look back at something that didn't involve you. We're going to be looking at the night that Jeff Hardy made himself a star and faced The Undertaker on Monday Night Raw in a ladder match. Mm -hmm. We talked a little bit about this a few weeks ago here on the V1 episode, about a month ago. We're going to take a deep dive on this. And Do you remember the last time you watched that match in full? I don't. I don't know. Okay. I remember I was out. I was out at ringside when they were going over. I like sat in with Michael Hayes, who was kind of the producer for the match. And I remember giving them ideas and trying to help out because it, it was it was really important to Undertaker that this match was great because he, he thought it is it, it would help shape his legacy. You know, he, he wanted to be in a ladder match, but he wanted to be like an epic, great ladder match. He was very, very important. That was very important to him. And we're going to get your perspective, seeing your brother ascend literally and figuratively during this match. And I'm, I'm very excited to take a peek into your brain here as we watch that match back. Mm-hmm. What will be the first time in a very long time for you here on the extreme life of Matt Hardy. This was a lot of fun this week, Matt. You and I were talking on the phone a few days ago about some things you'd like to start incorporating into the podcast and your positivity and your morale has been a big element of who you are. So I want to ask you when you have all this shitty booking, it's back and forth. You're not getting opportunities during this crazy time. What kind of advice would you give some pro wrestlers out there and how to weather the storm and, and maybe get through those, time periods of uncertainty with their booking? I mean, the first thing I would say is like find a good, clear separation between your personal life and your professional life in pro wrestling. Because whenever you go to work and you're at a show, especially if you're on TV, if you're working for a big company, there's going to be times where you're going to be given ideas or stories that you don't necessarily like and, and you don't think, put you in the best light. And then you usually have these options. You can speak to someone about it, whoever has made this decision for you and, and offer something better. Don't go in there and say, I hate this. It sucks. Go in there with something better going there, go in there with something to offer to to give them another suggestion. I mean, if you, if you don't have another suggestion, don't go in there bitching about it is the first thing I would say. But if you go in there with another suggestion, give them your side, give them your views, uh, have a good logical battle worked out in your mind where you can explain your case 
to whoever you're speaking to. And then if that can help whatever you're doing, if that, if that is beneficial to it and makes it better, that's great, especially if they're willing to do it. And if not, at the end of the day, take whatever they have given you and go out there and make the most of it. And, and, and always be willing to, to give ideas, to, to pitch stuff. I mean, it might not get used, but it, it could. And, you know, it's one of those things where if you're a professional wrestler, it, it's your responsibility to stay on top of, of your own shit. I mean, even if you don't have, even if you have minimal control of it, which a lot of times you do, but like do as much as you can to try and, and, and pitch as much and try and have as much control of, of things as you can let them know you're very passionate about it. They'll, they'll respect that at the end of the day, uh, regardless of who it is, they will respect that you give a shit about what you're doing. It shows that you're a passionate employee. You're just not there collecting a check. And, and if there's something you're doing that you, you hate so bad, just, just go out there and get through it, suck it up, put a smile on your face. Uh, don't don't be a boo boo faced wrestler. Go out there and do it to the best of your ability. And just remember, when it's all said and done, that's just one night. And like one night in pro wrestling doesn't define you for your career. There's definitely going to be nights where you do stuff you don't like. You do things that you think are not in the best interest for you and your character and your story. But if you have to go do them, go put a smile on your face and do it to the best of your ability. I promise you, uh, people will see that and they will respect that you went out there and made the most out of it, even if they knew you didn't really want to do it. Glass half full, Matt Hardy. Always bringing that positivity. I appreciate that. Our audience appreciates that. And Matt and I appreciate you guys for listening to The Extreme Life of Matt Hardy. Leave that five-star review. Check out boxagimmicks.com. Anything else you'd like to add, Matt? No, I just, uh, once again, I'm so happy so many people enjoyed last week's podcast because it was uh, it, it was very cathartic for me just to get out here and, and, and talk about things and, and open up and and try and be vulnerable in, in hopes that it, it helped someone else and I feel like we both did John I feel like we should both be proud of the uh, you know the, the the stories that we shared because the, there were a lot of people who could relate to it and there could be someone who's in a difficult challenging place right now and they heard our story and, and it motivated them to either try and help themselves or to ask for help and, and, and that makes me happy Spread the good word, my friends. ExtremeHardy.com. The words have been spoken. We'll see you next week here on The Extreme Life of Matt Hart. Adios, amigos. My skin's dying because you're under it. I'm done lying to myself for this. For all the wondering, believing that it's making me weak. I'll fade away and classify myself as a... Are you feeling stuck making minimum payments on your credit card debt? SaveWithConrad.com can help, and you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? Get rid of your credit card debt and lower your monthly payments right now at SaveWithConrad.com.